I'm thinking of those moments when you're in a, in a party or, you know, you come late to a party or to a get-together and, uh, and you see a group of people that you know, um, but they're halfway through a conversation and uh, um, they're laughing about something and uh, you have no idea about what they're talking about. And uh, you, have one, you have one of two options, really, which is to stop them mid-flow and say, what are you talking about? So you can join in with the laughter, or you can just join in and hope you find out your way and uh, work out what they're laughing about. And sometimes, um, I've never done it personally, but I've seen it in the movies where someone comes into that sort of a situation and they just start laughing along with whatever the joke is, even though they don't know what's happening. And, uh, but I think that if Simon Peter was in that place, he would stop and ask, because that's the kind of person Simon Peter is. Uh, he's the kind of guy that asks the question that everyone wants to know. And uh, a great example of that is in Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 21. This is a continuation of a sermon uh, that... Uh, I, I started a couple of weeks ago, uh, and then, of course, last week I uh, cheated and I re-preached an old one. Um, but this, this is where uh, our, our, our scripture this morning starts. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me as many as seven times? Or as many as seven times? And uh, Jesus answers with, somewhat of a cheeky answer he says i tell you not as many as seven and you know you can just sense simon peter's breath of of relief okay good not as many as seven uh jesus replied but 70 times seven uh now of course simon peter when he offered his number seven he uh thought he was being overly generous with his suggestion of forgiving a brother or sister seven times. After all, God himself was willing to extend forgiveness two or three times, as we read in the book of Job. God certainly does all these things two or three times to a person in order to turn him back from the pit uh, so he may shine with the light of life. That's Job 33, 29. So Simon Peter has taken God's two or three and he's raised him seven times. It's a big deal. Simon Peter is shining here. Now, this morning as I'm preaching through this, uh, I want us to, to listen to some of Hadassah's story. Hadassah is um, she's a bilingual Christian writer. She's a poet, translator, and a marketing specialist. She is Bulgarian. She lives in Austria with her husband. And according to um, her online, she loves diving deeper into the Word of God. She enjoys reading, traveling, spending time with her family and friends. And Hadassah also has a story, a story that I read on her blog. And so this morning, along with our scripture, we're going to be walking alongside Hadassah as she recounts her journey towards forgiveness. Part one, traumas, open doors, up to bitterness. Hadassah writes this, my childhood and teenage years were not easy, living in a a constant fear and terror of my father. He used to terrorize us with his aggressive and abusing words and behavior. 
I learned early to suppress my real feelings, thoughts, and opinions in order to survive. I dreamed of the time when I would be an adult and would leave the house of my parents, finally breaking free. And then she writes, This time came, but unfortunately I was not free. The deep wound that my father inflicted produced a bitter fruit and continued to poison my life. I harbored resentful, disrespectful, and hateful feelings towards him. I could not trust and respect men, and my identity was crippled by believing many of the things he said and did to me. I even struggled with suicidal thoughts, end quote. Simon Peter asks the question on everyone's mind, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister? And as I said, he set the bar very high at seven times. Listen to Jesus' response. I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Or the NIV pitches it a bit lower. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So it's either 77 times in the NIV or 490 times in the, in the CSB. Either way, whether it's 77 or 490 times, N.T. Wright makes a very salient point. He says this, if you're still counting how many times you've forgiven someone, you've not, really, you've not really forgiven them at all, or you're not really forgiving them at all, but simply postponing revenge. 70 times 7 is a typical bit of Jesus' teasing. What he means, of course, is don't even think about counting. Just do it. What do you think about N.T. Wright's point that not forgiving someone is postponing revenge, simply postponing revenge? Welcome to Jesus' kingdom of no fair. When we hear words like this, our response is to shout no fair because we know what has been done against us. And right now, every single one of us probably has a situation where you're thinking, but you don't know what's happened to me. Let's return to Hadassah's story, part two, help from above. She writes, in my most desperate time, God found me. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 17 years old. The truth that I have a heavenly father who loves me unconditionally and who will never, never abuse me and control me, but instead support and encourage me until the end was a fountain of life to me. It pulled me back from the edge of the pit I was about to throw myself and gave me meaning and a reason to live. But this was just the beginning. Returning to our text, Peter has asked Jesus his question. Jesus has given his answer. And then in true Jesus style, he tells a story starting in verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So Jesus is making a direct parallel between the kingdom of heaven and a king who wants to settle accounts. And just as an aside, if you've been hurt or abused by others, know this, that one day God the king will settle accounts with the one who has sinned and is unrepentant. In other words, justice will be served. Verse number 24, when he began to settle accounts, one who, owned, who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. Okay, we might not see it in the text, but there's a good chance at this moment that Jesus has a smile or a smirk on his face. 
Because in today's language, what Peter heard from the mouth of Jesus was this. When the king began to settle accounts, one person who owed $6 billion was brought before him. And I think of the Austin Powers, you know, $6 billion. Anyway, whatever. Seen that movie, it makes sense if you don't. But it's it's absurd. This man owed the, the, the gross domestic produce of the Maldives or Montenegro in 2022. That's what he owed. In other words, it was an absurd sum that Jesus was talking about. And there is no way that this servant could ever pay it off. One talent was the equivalent of about 20 years labor for of 20 years wages for a laborer. One talent is 20 years late wages for a laborer. So 10,000 talents was 200,000 years of work. And of course, Jesus' point in bringing out this idea of six, $6 billion was to make the point that this servant could never pay it off, which makes what happens next even more surprising. Verse 26, at this the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of the servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. The servant's unbelievable debt was met with unexpected grace, with outrageous grace. The servant's idea of mercy, the best case scenario for the servant was that the king would allow him to pay off his debt, 200,000 years of hard labor. That was the servant's idea of grace, 200,000 years of hard labor. But the king responded with a heart-stopping, life-changing, joy-bringing, relief-inducing counter-offer, I will have compassion, I will release you from your debt, I will forgive you the loan. This is the kind of news, if you can place yourself in the place of that servant, this is the news that would floor you that would literally drive you to your knees, crying with unmitigated relief. Instead of you and your family being sold into slavery for for 2,857 lifetimes, you are now set free. And the next question is, what does the servant do with this freedom? And what if it was you? What would you do with your freedom? If you are Christ's today, then let me give you a glimpse at your good fortune as outlined in Scripture. Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with God. Romans 5 verse 2, We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. You have access into God's presence. John chapter 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believe in his name. You are adopted into God's family. Acts chapter 10 verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Your sins are forgiven. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You are hidden in God with Christ. Romans 8 16, 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, you have an inheritance with Christ in God. Romans chapter 3 verse 22. The, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe you are declared righteous in the eyes of God. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a citizen of heaven. You have peace with God. You have access into God's presence. You are adopted into God's family. Your sins are forgiven. You are hidden in, in God with Christ. You have an inheritance in God. You are righteous in God's sight. You are a citizen of heaven. In addition to that, you are delivered from God's condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Your destination is no longer hell. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, that's the one side. This is the other side. This is what we, we, we are outside of Christ, heading towards. But the cowards, faithful, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, Revelation 21, 7 and 8. You have been delivered from the power of sin and evil. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness, 1 Peter 2.24. In addition, you have been born again, 1 Peter 1.23, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And you have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. All of this is yours. And for some of you listening, you still don't know the joy of having your debt totally expunged. You're still trying to pay God off. And if this is you, stop working, stop trying hard. Instead, turn to Jesus. Look at him with faith on the cross. Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the dead for your life. Accept his gift, trust in him, and your debt will be wiped clean. Now back to Hadassah, part three. Free from bitterness and resentment, the first step. Years later, when I have already married and moved to another country, the Holy Spirit took me gently and firmly on a journey of freedom from bitterness and resentment. We started with the relationship with my father. The more I spent time every day in prayer and in God's word, the clearer the path to healing became. The first step was forgiveness. For, 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 for the first time, I realized that forgiveness is a process. I need to stay in forgiveness and choose forgiveness whenever resentful thoughts and feelings enter my mind. Next, forgiveness is concrete. So forgiveness is a process and forgiveness is concrete. Often I was led back in my memories to write down the precise ways that my father hurt me. Strengthened by God's loving embrace, I was able to open these painful doors again and then close them forever while acknowledging the hurt and the consequences. 
Jesus' story in Matthew 18 continues in verse 28. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began, began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. Ouch. I'm reading this passage and I'm yelling at the guy, don't be an idiot. Remember what you were released from. You were set free from 200,000 years of labor from an infinite responsibility that you could never pay. And here you are throwing a fellow servant into jail over three months' wages. That first servant's second chance was the talk of the town. Word had gotten around. The other servants had heard of this incredible act of surprising generosity. And so people were watching him. People were watching, seeing how he would respond. And so the bitterness of this servant as he chokes his fellow servant stands out even more starkly. When the other, when the other servants... Is that on there? When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Matthew 18, 31. Let's check in again with Hadassah, part four. Grieving and emotional healing. She says, still, although I released my father from his debt, sadness and pain did not disappear so fast. God was inviting me to grieve and mourn the losses I have experienced. With the help of the Psalms, I could lament and find words to express not only painful and conflicting feelings, but also hope and trust in God as the judge, redeemer, and vindicator of my suffering. Strangely, I started to see my father with other eyes, as a person who himself is a captive and in pain. My heart began to soften. God was healing my emotions. God's love could flow now free in my heart and find its way out in the communication with my father. It was still difficult for me to maintain a relationship with him, but the barrier of resentment from my side was gone. When faced with inexpressible forgiveness from the king, the king expects the same from us. Three times isn't enough. Seven times isn't enough. Seventy times seven is what Jesus commands. In other words, don't place a limit. Those words again from N.T. Wright, if you're still counting how many times you've forgiven someone, you're not really forgiving them at all, but simply postponing revenge. And this morning, my friends, if you are struggling with resentment or bitterness or an inability to forgive someone, I think you might find Luke's recounting of a similar incident helpful. It says, be on your guard. This is Jesus. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. 
And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you are faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the tree and it will obey you. You cannot forgive a brother or sister or parent or child or neighbor, especially one who is a repeat offender without faith. It's hard to stay free, as Hadassah knows. Part five, staying free from bitterness and resentment. These are her words. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5 verse 1. She writes, I was free and then the real challenge began to maintain my new freedom. There were multiple occasions that tempted me to go back. A hurtful word, an inappropriate request or manipulative behavior. Staying yielded to God and asking constantly for his wisdom and strength is the path to to life and freedom. My journey to peace with myself and my father continued with more milestones on the way. The last being that my father asked forgiveness for everything that he did. Friends, as I read Matthew 18, 21 to 35, I realize that we are surprised by the wrong things. We are surprised at what shouldn't surprise us, and we are not surprised at what should surprise us. Let me explain. God's amazing grace should surprise us, but it doesn't. We think, well, that's what God does. He forgives. He has amazing grace. It's part of the job description of being God. So we aren't surprised by God's amazing grace. And our debt shouldn't surprise us, but it does. Because we are minimizers of our own sin. We forget the incredible sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And we think, well, that's what Jesus does. He dies for us. It's in the job description. God's job description is to show us love. And Jesus' job description is to die on the cross for us. That's just how it is. And yet we're surprised when our fellow servants notice our unforgiveness, our double standards, and our hypocrisy. And so we lash out at them. We say, how dare you notice my hypocrisy? Who are you to point out my shortcomings? Don't you know that you're a sinner too? Like I said last week, uh, pretending that you're in the light while walking in the darkness fools no one. Least of all yourself, and least, least of all, Almighty God. And even your fellow servants start to notice. And when that happens, God gets angry. And this surprises us. That God, a God of love, gets angry. But God's anger in this moment is always a righteous anger. When the other servants, this is verse 31, when the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you 
unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Let's return one more time to Hadassah, part six, the lessons from my journey. Here are the most important lessons, she writes. Here are the most important lessons that God taught me in the process of yielding to him on the journey in getting and staying free from bitterness and resentment. Number one, focusing on the hurt leads to bitterness and resentment. Bitterness and resentment lead to the the development of victim mentality. The victim mentality leads to wrong perceived identity and this robs us of the joy, peace and abundant life that God has for us. Instead, when we choose continually to focus on God's grace, transformative power and the truth in his word, we can let go of bitterness. We choose continually to focus on God's grace, transformative power, the truth in his word. When we choose that, we can let go of the bitterness. And letting go of bitterness helps us to live not defined by our wounds and dysfunctions, but by our true identity of called out, chosen, and dearly loved children of God. Now, forgiveness isn't easy. Author David Platt agrees. He says that the Bible is not saying it's easy to forgive or that it's natural to forgive. But it is, however, it's Christian to forgive. In fact, the Christian has no other option. We forgive not because we have to, but because in love we are compelled to. End quote. In Matthew 18, we see that God forgiving us is predicated on our forgiving others. There's no other way to express this. There's no other conclusion to draw. Even in the Lord's Prayer, the connection between the two is so clear. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Matthew 6 verse 12. Or just a couple of verses later. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. And this leads me back to the words of the disciples in Luke 7 after Jesus commands them to forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. That mulberry tree is a symbol of the bitterness and the hurt and the unforgiveness. So loved ones, who is God calling you to forgive? What revenge is God calling you to drown in his grace What conversation is the Spirit gently prompting you to have? Who do you need to invite out for coffee and share how you feel? Share the wounds that have been carried by them. Who do you need the faith to forgive as Christ forgave you? Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, 
Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Thank you.